I am Doug Friedman. And I am Meredith Levy. And this is your Mental Breakdown. The podcast. That's right. That's right. And we are doing something new and exciting and different right now. Right now, you guys, you're hearing it right now. Meredith and I have not started talking like we normally do for like an hour before we record. We're getting right into it. And this is why we wanted to record right away. Like, dude, you had some dude. Yeah. Some guy just like tried to break into my house in the middle of the day, 1.30 when I'm home. And to be fair, I think it was like an old man with dementia or something because. I mean, uh, 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 uh. Time out, back up. What? Time out, back up. This wasn't just some guy tried to break into my house. You sent me the clip from the, the camera. That was not your front door initially. Oh, no. That I saw. He went around. He had to go through the side of your house, open a gate, go through the side, come to your back patio door. And was like trying to open it. Like. Right. That's creepy. Yeah, it was so crazy. And I thought I heard something. So I turned on my camera in the back in the backyard live to see. And I was like, holy shit, holy shit. Cause I didn't zoom in in the moment to see it was like this old man. I just saw, and I was like, oh my God, what do I do? And I could push my alarm on my phone and the siren will go off and, or I can have that and the police come at the same time. Ooh. Yeah. But by the time I figured it all out, I was like, oh my God, oh my God. You were at home though. You were at home when this was happening. I was at home. And then I saw that he had left and I was like, oh shit. And then I watched the video again and I was like, oh fuck, I think it's like some old man. So I went, there's like an old people's home. It's literally like a house at my corner. I went down there and I like knocked on the door and I was like, does this man live here? And she's like, no, only women live here. And I was like, okay, because I feel bad. Like, I feel like he's probably wandering the neighborhood. I don't want him to get mauled by a dog or shot or something. Anyway, so yeah, it was crazy to see that. You like hear about all those things or on, if you guys know what next door is, it's like the local, oh, your right. neighbors, and there's always people being like, this happened, this happened, and then it happens to you and you're like, oh, what the fuck? It was, it was crazy. I mean, that's scary. Like you're home and there's some dude walking around the side of your house to the back Trying your door. Trying my door. That was like the, yeah, it was so scary, but I'm okay. I'm okay. And also fun fact, fun news. So I have, I think you guys know I've started playing tennis. Maybe I haven't talked about it. Started during COVID on and off. I'm back on. Uh-huh. I have a lesson this evening. And then tomorrow morning, I am playing tennis with a group of ladies Yes. If you guys know me, I'm not a big team player. I'm not a big social (laughs) group activity person. I never played sports in my life, so I never did like group things. I have been avoiding this at all costs. And I'm just going to be really judgmental right now. I'm sure they're extremely... (laughs) Right now, for a change, for a change. Brace yourself, everybody. Fuck you. I'm not that judgmental (laughs) at all. I work hard. I'm sure they're really nice, sweet women. I'm sure they're great. I'm sure I'll love them, but... I think their names are like Mary and Debbie. And I asked my teacher, yeah. you know, like ease. I don't know. I just feel like that's like Nancy. Oh, Nancy is one of them. <laughs> and I asked my teacher, I was like, do they all wear tennis skirts? And he was like, yeah, I don't wear tennis skirts. Uh-huh. I'm wear all black, of course, leggings, whatever. <laughs> I just feel like it's going to be, I might stick out like a sore thumb, but I'm going at 7.30 tomorrow morning to play tennis with the ladies. 
You're going to the breakfast club as Ali Sheedy with a bunch of Molly Ringwalds. Oh my God. I can't believe you just called me Ali Sheedy. That's amazing. (laughs) Anyways, how's your house? You moved into your new place. I moved into my new place. I'm still in boxes. I have not cooked yet in my new place. I actually, no, I I cooked once, but that was, I cooked food for Beckett. I cooked his food, but not my own. Yeah. Because I haven't, I, I haven't unpacked my kitchen. I have... They're still doing work on the floors uh, starting next week. And they just fixed my shower, but I now have, he said, well, now you've got a water hammer in your wall. Like a a what? What? A a water hammer. You know, when you turn on like a faucet or something and it goes, and it's coming from the wall because it's in the pipes. It's like, but yeah, I mean, it's like 50, 50, if it'll go away. <laughs> what? Aren't you the plumber? Like, wasn't your job to fix that? So you just listened to that? I don't know. I, I mean, the last, he just fixed it a, a couple of days ago. On Friday, he left. So I took a shower yesterday. I took a shower today, two days in a row, which, you know, in <laughs> pandemic times. Is, that's insane. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm I'm trying to see if the, if the water hammer in the wall is going to be there or go away. And it, Today, it seemed like it it lessened a bit. So I think a couple more showers and maybe it'll just work itself out. I don't know. But yeah, there's there's things about this house that I'm like, really? I mean, yeah, that probably isn't soothing in the shower, but maybe you just have to get a, ra- a shower radio. I do have a sh- Well, I have a uh, like a speaker in there. Yeah, yeah. Although the shower, there's a shower head directly above you. So it comes straight down and then one regular one that comes in. Ooh, fancy. Fancy, but I can't stand the one that comes overhead. I just want the regular shower. I don't know why, like the the one overhead, I think they call it a rain shower. Why? Because it's too light? It's not like a... Yeah, it's not good water pressure. That's true. And it's it's also like just coming straight down. It's like, I don't want to be rained on. I want to take a shower. I mean, just probably because you're used to it. I guess. I don't know. My dad has a shower that we call the car wash. It literally has like fucking eight different shower spray heads. So like all over the place. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, there's a handheld in this one too. So I have the the one directly overhead, the one regular thing, and then a handheld thing. And the handle that I turn to turn it on alternates each one. It's amazing. So you can't just, and you have to like sift through to get to the regular one. I know it's like, Really? That's what you're complaining about? No. Like, yeah, but I well, I didn't have hot water for a week and a half in that shower. Oh, Jesus. So Fuck that. There's another bathroom that I showered in, but I would shower in like the guest bathroom and then come back into my bathroom. But then the sink didn't work in one and the shower didn't work in the other and both toilets ran like... <laughs> But at least I've moved into my house. I know. We're such adults. <laughs> Holy crap. Right? This is what we're talking about. And you know, yet again... Much like last week, I have a feeling we're boring everybody out there. Probably. (laughs) It's wild to me that we've been talking for a little while now, but you just came off the buzz of having an intruder at your place. I think you're a little more regulated, a little calmer now. I'm still like overall trying to get myself settled in my new house. Like I'm not, I don't have my boxes unpacked. I don't have my kitchen set up and just feeling, feeling settled is, uh, is something that that's, I don't know. I, I think we take it for granted. Yeah. And I, <laughs> good one. Yeah. I feel like actually that's sort of what you and our new client, your new client start out touching on. Yeah. Getting settled. And it's, it's, and even just the meta of it, it's, 
this is second session. So it's the two of us just getting settled in therapy, in that relationship and getting used to each other and, and feeling comfortable enough to kind of reveal more and get into more, which, which we do. I mean, you will, you will hear some more and I'm excited to see how people will kind of react to the stuff that she reveals over, over time. Cause the first couple episodes, her story starting to come out more and more. Definitely a different gear than Drew, who is still with us. Right. He's we're working hard to get that Patreon put up. So he will be there for you guys at some point very, very soon. Yes. Believe us, we will be promoting the hell out of it on here. <laughs> In the meantime, stick around for, for Sarah and Mary and I will be back in a few and break it on down for you. Yeah, breaking it down. Tell me a little bit about being a mom to your kids. I'm one of 10 brothers and sisters, and I'm number four from the oldest in my family. So I've basically been a mom, I would say, my whole life. The older ones took care of the younger ones. You cooked, you cleaned, you know, all the fun stuff that came along with being one of the older ones. My mother, bless her heart, she had 10 kids without really thinking about what having 10 kids means. <laughs> and it, it's quite obvious throughout all of my brothers and sisters, all of our lives, all of our sort of, I would say, negative patterns or things that have happened. It's really just down to the fact that we basically raised ourselves. It takes a village. And with, with 10 kids, you kind of were your own village. Exactly. We were our own village. Mom was almost never there. Because of the way we grew up, we were basically, we always lived in communes. <laughs> so there was a lot of, I guess you could say, heartache on my end. There's only so much you can do for your little brothers and sisters when you see them being abused, whatever that abuse might look like at the time. <laughs> so when I became a mother, I always had a very clear picture of what it would look like. Me and my kids, hanging out with them, everything that I imagine I would have wanted my childhood to be like. My mother was never around. My dad was never around. My stepdad, not the best human. It was difficult. So of course, I wanted to make sure that all of that was completely different. But I had a plan for my life. So I wanted two kids before I was 30 because I wanted to have them where I was old enough to be a good mother, but young enough to, to be a fun mother and, and to actually do activities with them and all that stuff. So I had a plan, got pregnant. I was 27 and then immediately got pregnant at 28. My kids are amazing. They're extremely smart, which mm. I, I find can be quite challenging at times, especially <laughs> because, because kids just assume that because you're their parent, you're stupid. Oh, yeah. My kids know nothing about my background at all. They know I grew up strange in a strange way. They know I grew up overseas, but that's about the extent of it. So overall, my life with my kids was just me and them just hanging out. They could both read and write by the time they went to kindergarten. We were brought up like that, which is odd, and I'll get into that later. We learned phonetics and we learned 
writing and all of that while they were at home with me prior to going to kindergarten. Wow. That was important to you. Very important to me. You and their father as well? He was quite absentee when they were young. He was quite happy for me to handle the children and tried as much as possible not to get involved. And were you quite happy with that as well? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was fine. Being married has never been very important to me. That was the commitment that I was comfortable with. I had to have two kids. I did not want an only child. So the whole thing, it was two kids from one guy. I'm not entirely invested in whether or not he ends up being my husband. So it was much less about the husband and much more about my family and and my schedule for my life. <laughs> I did make the decision to to stay with my ex-husband and have the kids with him because, well, this is not the only reason, but one of the main reasons is he comes from a completely different family. He has wealthy parents who my two kids will be their only grandchildren. And actually, I love his parents. His parents are amazing. It sounds like for you, consciously for you, in the plan that you had formulated and kind of did actualize, I want two kids before I'm 30. I want to make sure that they're taken care of. And here are grandparents that are wealthy and caring and will be there and will take care of them. So I'll stick it out for the benefit of the kids. Yes. You know, I'll, I'll put up with some of this. Absolutely. I'll do this for them. And it's sacrificing parts of yourself. I'm already hearing part of a narrative, that idea that I will sacrifice for the greater good, someone else's Always. benefit, for, right? Being, being the fourth oldest, and I'm going to make sure my, my younger ones are okay. Yes. Okay. What about you? What about your childhood? Who looked at right? Uh No one. In fact, even the the three older than me. I I should give you a little backstory here. So one of one of the cult's sort of main methods, for want of a better word, was low education and lots of children. Because when you're too stupid and you have a brood of six or seven or eight kids, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? If you decide you want to leave, what are you going to do? So it was almost like this culture of school ended around sixth grade. That That was all that was offered. And getting pregnant was literally encouraged. Like birth control was not accepted. It was against the rules, essentially. So my three older brothers and sisters all had children. Once I ran away and and started a life for myself outside of the cult, it was a lot of, I basically cared for everybody, not just the younger ones, Mm. for everybody. Because what were they going to do, the older ones? They had nowhere to land, nowhere to go. They had all these kids, no money, no jobs. So it was always uh, me. (laughs) Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. And there's a lot of excuses I give myself too, which is that it Mm. makes me happy. 
to take care of the people that I love. And it's true. It does. It does make me happy. Absolutely. I've never been able to find the line between caring for the people I love, but making sure I care for myself as well. And I even just saying it out loud, I feel guilty. I never say no to anybody. So about five, six years ago was the first time I ever got to a point where I just told my whole family, like, I'm, I've got nothing left. I can't. I have nothing. I'm so done. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm spent. And that gave me huge feelings of guilt. And I should have drawn the line many years before. I should have drawn the line when I had my own family to care for. Your frame of reference I mean, you didn't really have one. No, (laughs) never. You grew up in a cult, in a village, and you're not just talking about, oh, we moved around, we're talking (laughs) countries, continents. That's wild. And, and, And we'll unpack a lot of this. The sort of mindset I had going into being a mother was affected, I think, by all of the things that happened to me as a child and wanting the complete opposite. Like I wanted my kids to be born and raised in a house or at least in a town or a city. I wanted them to have friends that they grew up with, all the things that I never had. Absolutely. It's interesting to me that the stability and consistency that I can hear you just in the little we've talked about your your family, not your kids, but the one you were born into. Yeah. The stability And consistency was you. Yes. For everybody else, right? Always. Yes. So where was yours? I mean, I just made myself who I needed to be. I I still do, I think, pretty much on a daily basis. I, you know, like a chameleon, just constantly like, and then it will turn yellow and then turn another color. I, I feel like that's me, but that's because I don't have any other choice. If I didn't do it, and I, that's probably the wrong thing to say. Everybody has a choice, but in my mind to care for my siblings, to get them out of the cult, to get them into a proper environment, who else was going to do? Yeah. And look, you found a way to survive. You and I are now going to find a way to thrive. And we might have to look back at some of the the wiring and the way your 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 brain was shaped and your frames of reference because they're they're built on survival and that's wonderful until you realize wait i haven't really thrived because your your stability and and consistency in your life comes from providing that for others where's yours that's something we need to navigate for sure because the idea of like my my boyfriend for instance he is wonderful. He's loving, he's caring. And in fact, he grew up in the cult. I had no idea. I only found out like way later, but he is very, very good at drawing the line. Like, yes, absolutely. I will help. Absolutely. I will do that until it gets to a point where, well, that's not really going to work for me. He's very good at drawing that line without seeming rude or or mean, but so, so sometimes to me, he'll say, come on, babe, what, what are you doing? Obviously you can't do that. And it might not be that obvious to you because it doesn't occur (laughs) to you that way. Right. 
It's definitely hard. Like, I'll know, yeah, this is going to be a real pain in the butt. Like, this is going to totally mess up my schedule. It's going to interfere with X, Y, and Z, but it's my brother. Or, eh, it's my sister. Obviously, I have to do it. Essentially, that butt negates the thing you just said yep. in front of it. <laughs> but, you know, but, and here I go again, <laughs> if I say no, the guilt that I feel is worse to me than the butts along the way, because the butts all figure them out. Even if I'm stressed, even if I'm totally frazzled by the end, that person is happy and I feel better about myself. And I know that's wrong. Well, it might be ineffective now. It was effective then. As long as they're happy, for you, you were happy that they were happy. Yes. Okay. Now that's not the most effective. And we know that. But back then it was. And I mean, look, you grew up, you were born into a cult. Yeah, a bad one. <laughs> a, bad, a bad cult. A cult that was very, very all-consuming. Just running away at 15 and doing what I did, I don't even know how I did that. There was something inside of me that was just propelling me, get the hell out. I mean, because when you have no frame of reference for right and wrong, you have to listen to something inside of you that's telling you, eh, I don't think that's okay. I don't think you're supposed to hold a six-month-old baby by the arm and beat them. But there's something inside of me, like my stomach would just like clench up. And again, no frame of reference. This is how everything was done. But to me, it was wrong. And those things that just happened, sexual abuse and the locking a kid in a, in a shed outside in the middle of summer, it's like hundred degrees with no water and no food for days on end. Those things are wrong. And I, and the only reason I knew that was because my stomach or my brain told me that's not okay. It's not right. And I literally mean this in the literal sense, running away from this cult was like the only thing I could think to do to try and change my family's life for the future. You know, I had no idea if I was going to be successful, if I was going to be able to even navigate a world that I'd never been a part of. And that is really terrifying for a 15-year-old. <laughs> But there's a whole thing, again, where I felt like, okay, well, if I do leave and I do run away, then who's going to protect them? And I, I basically remember the day that I had a conversation with myself and thought, okay, you can either stay here and on a daily basis do your best to protect whichever brother or sister might be in peril at that moment, or you can change it forever going forward. And I didn't know what that was or how I was going to do it. But my first instinct was to just get as far away as I could. So there was a lot that went on around that age of 15, 16 years old, where I had to make some huge life decisions with zero data. And you know how much I love data. <laughs> yeah. That was tricky. Yeah. Zero data and zero support. 
Correct. Zero support, like not a dime to my name. I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what was happening. Luckily, I had a boyfriend. We ran away together. So you're 15 at the time when you get out. You mentioned that conversation you had with yourself. You remember that one? Yes. From that conversation to conversations with your boyfriend to when you actually ran, how much time, how much, like what was going on for you during that time? Because it sounds like you had if not the idea, maybe the resolve, or if not the resolve, maybe the idea that this needs to be done. Okay. So when I was 13 years old, I told my mother, I'm just not feeling this. I don't feel like this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I would really like you to send me to live with a relative or somebody who can put me in school and I can carry on living my life. My mom had a meltdown. It was a whole thing. So basically they took me and they put me, they isolated me from everybody in these weird little cabins that we had at the place we were living at the time, like totally isolated. I wasn't allowed to leave. They sent all the leaders of the cult up there to pray over me and cast out my demons. And it was a whole thing. And basically after about three months of this, I broke and I was like, okay, I mean, I'm 13. I can't do anything on my own. That much I knew. So I told myself, okay, I'm just going to do what they want me to do. Pretend like everything's good until I'm at a point in my life where I can just take off. And that happened. So I was about, let's say 15 and a half, maybe I had started dating this guy. I was like, look, I need to get out of here. This is not what I'm trying to do. I need to get out of here. And he was like, all right, cool, let's go. (laughs) We were in Switzerland. So we just literally jumped on a train and went to Italy. We started a little band. We started making money just by booking gigs around and singing in restaurants and bars. Let me slow you down for a second. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is like, okay, cool. Great. So you got out, you ran, you went from Switzerland to Italy, no problem. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> you just left a cult. I mean, trying to just go from Switzerland to Italy at 15 years old is kind of a big deal. But when you're in a cult and your whole family's in a cult and you don't have much contact with the outside mm-hmm. world, that's really difficult. Yes. As you said, no real frames of reference for anything outside of this. Exactly. At the time, there were not smartphones, cell phones, the internet Nothing. everywhere. Nothing. None of that. Nope. You're lucky if you can get to a payphone and you had change for it. Exactly. Right. So when you say run, I mean, literally run, like you guys made a run for it. We said we were going to the little corner store and we just walked to the train station. We just got on a train and we just never came back. <laughs> what sort of level of fear did you have? of they're going to come after us. They're going to find us. We better look over our shoulder. How was that? Because you make it sound like, yeah, we made a run for it. Then we started a band and we were playing, playing music. (laughs) Kind of brushed over that. (laughs) I don't think it happens that easily. My level of fear was quite high. And I'll tell you why, because our parents, they were high up in the leadership chain, especially my stepdad. And he was not a good person. And I say he was not a good person. And we definitely need to unpack this at some other time because this is a longer conversation. But 
personally, to my beliefs, if you are a good person, you won't do bad things on purpose. You won't knowingly hurt somebody. Right. When I first left, I spent a year studying every single religion that exists just so I could understand what was wrong with my parents or people who bought in to this cult mentality. Because, I mean, if I knew at 13, younger, if I knew something was wrong at that little tiny age, how could adults who are parents be so stupid? So to me, it was either stupidity or you're just pure evil. I mean, I know cults have a way of sort of sneaking things up on you, right? They say, oh, first we're all going to do this. And everyone's like, yeah, it's so wonderful. And then the next little thing. And then before you know it, 11-year-olds are women and God wouldn't have given them periods if they weren't supposed to have babies. So let's all start having sex with 11-year-olds. It was a psychopedophile running the cult telling you, yeah, 11-year-olds are good. You can, you can have sex with them. At that point, even at that point, any, any, I think, logical human would have said, yeah, hold on a second. I'm calling the cops. What has to go on in your head for you to say, oh, okay, yeah, that must be right. This is never fucking right. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I think you're exactly right in terms of what's going on in your head. The very definition of brainwashing. Mm-hmm. is when they wash a lot of that out of your brain and what they put in it, it's based or rooted in teachings from God. And I don't know if he was, you know, a prophet and he has yes. the word of God and it comes to him. And Well, that's what he told everybody. Yes. So if he says it's okay to have sex with 11 year olds, then yes. And, and where's the proof? Well, it comes from God or, and this is what you know. And okay, that's what we know. I don't know if you have a sense of it's wrong or not because it's all around you. Oh, you absolutely do. From experience, I know that there is something fundamental inside of a child because I was the child that just knew, like you have all kinds. I mean, it's like any abuse story you hear. There's the moment where you feel like, oh my God, what's happening? What's going on? And then there's the pain. And then there's the question, like, why would somebody be doing this to me? And then there's the guilt. Like, oh, well, this must be my fault because I got my period. There's a lot of really messed up feelings that come to a child from being abused like that. I mean, the the child doesn't know any better, especially a child in a cult. Of course, they don't know any better. My children know better. I made sure of that from day one, but I didn't know better. Right. But that's because you were, you were nurturing them. You were educating them. And when I think about you saying, I spent you know, a year reading about every religion I could and, and trying to understand this, mm-hmm. because at the time you weren't given any alternative ways of thought. You were given one way of thought. Yep. Your brain, what was going on in, in your head was supposed to be this one singular way of being. Yeah. You question it, you got beat or you got put in a trailer in the middle of summer, whatever, whatever it was, if you questioned it, you got put on silence restriction. You had to wear a big sign saying, I'm not allowed to talk to anybody. It it was very scary to have any kind of thought or opinion that wasn't in line with what was being told you to do. 
So, I mean, lucky for me, I was kind of on the like tapered edge of the sexual abuse and more around the time of the sort of mental physical. And, and again, another long story for another day. They basically said, oh, no sex with minors anymore. But in quiet circles, in our circles, it was, we're just saying this because the systemites is what they called everybody outside of the cult. They don't understand that Jesus says this is okay and people continue doing what they were doing. But we kind of transitioned from really, really a lot of sexual abuse, very blatant, very in your face, like totally normal, to it kind of being a hush-hush thing and more into the sort of mental and physical abuse era of the cult. So there's always something inside of a child. I know that there is because, again, I was the child and I watched my brothers and sisters and everybody. Basically, there is something that tells you, okay, did I, did I actually do something naughty? Did I deserve to have my pants pulled down in front of 150 people and beat him with a paddle? Of course it's not right. Of course there's something in your mind going, wah, 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 you know, it's the alarm bells going off. But again, what do you know? Yeah. And what do you know and what can you question and who can you ask those questions to? Yeah. And what could you even do? It's incredibly powerless. Yep. Incredibly. I mean, it's, and that's the whole nature of the cult. You have no power. You have no thought that isn't the one singular thought of the cult. Yeah. And the people who are supposed to love you and take care of you are right there in the room while it's happening. Yeah. Bringing us back to your original question, those kind of things for me were hugely important that I was always with my kids or at least knew where they were, who they were with. I met all the teachers. I wouldn't let them have sleepovers unless I met the parents, both parents, not just one. To my children, I was like, oh, no, I just want to, you know, make sure that they're nice people. And what was most important for me with my kids was talking. We talk about everything. If there is a problem, we talk about it, whether it's a big problem or a little problem, because I want them to know that I'm here. And if I wasn't aware of something that was going on or something slipped past me, that they could always come to me and tell me and nothing would happen to them. And that, that's why just what we were talking about last week, six months ago, son sneaks out, smokes some weed, and you can talk to him about that. Yes. And then ex-husband finds out, he flips out, there's the panic attack, because it's taking you back to that place where, oh, wait, we can't talk about this, this isn't okay. That controlling. Yep. That powerlessness in terms of your story. Something that I hear in you is resilience. I think the very definition of it, and it's something that's sure. Sometimes if I say it to, to people and if I say it to you and you go, yeah, yeah, I'm resilient. Yeah, no problem. It's just what you know. Like, yeah, 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 I survived. Yeah, I know how to survive. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, I'm strong. Sure, I just keep going. There's a different kind of strength in you. There's a strength that's, to me, rooted in vulnerability and honesty. That's amazing. It might be a leap, but I would say love, too. Yes, absolutely. And I think you are, you are at the core, joyous and happy, strong, you know, very strong and resilient and incredibly vulnerable. 
Yep. <laughs> also incredibly wounded, incredibly fearful. And those are survival mechanisms for keeping that there. Yep. hundred <sighs> percent. There's so many triggers around you. Yes. And I don't care how, how resilient and strong you are. When these triggers hit, the nature of the trigger is it hits something deeper. Yep. And it hits that place. There are a lot of wounds in there. And the old saying of, of, yeah, but where the wounds are, that's where the light comes in. Yep. That's where our greatest light is. Absolutely. And you have such light and strength in you. And you pour it onto your kids, which is probably amazing. I want to see some of that light for yourself. I want, to, I want to be the mirror that gets to shine that back so you can see it for yourself. I'm not going to do anything but just show it to you. Thank yourself because it's there. Yeah. And I thank you for being willing to share it. Like I, I, you need context almost for the answer. I guess I could, oh, yeah. I could try and just give you an answer, but it may not make a whole lot of sense without the context. But sort of a lot of things that lead to, okay, how, how do I behave as a mother or how do, you know, what's my relationship with my children? Absolutely. That's why I have so much success with friends and in my jobs and stuff, because I, I'm able to fluctuate between the sweet person, the kind of mean person, the really high strung person. And I can kind of find, you know, I can see it and I can match it and I know how to communicate, but I would have never learned that skill had I not grown up, I think, in, in the various ways that I did. Yeah. You just described yourself as the chameleon, right? Yes. Like I can be all <laughs> exactly. these different things. And it's the ability to deal with anybody while you have the vulnerability to be yourself. That vulnerability to be who you really are and how you really want to be. That's what we're going to bring out because that never got nurtured. You might have touched it at times and you might have known deep inside that that's you. I think we'll nurture that and let her come out for a while. Okay, good. Yeah, because I have a lot of fear about her. My vulnerable side is the side that I always like push down because I'm like, nope, who is going to care about my vulnerability or my sensitivity? Thank you for sharing all this. I mean, I, I'm getting to know you. I'm seeing your vulnerability. I'm, I'm seeing you. I'm very excited about the healing that we can do. Me too. From a lot of what you've been through, a lot of what you're going through and just who and how you are to be who and how you really want to be. Yes. Thank you. And we are back. We are. We're with you once again. So this is getting good. I'm liking Sarah a lot. So, I mean, you know, I was going to reframe it like, well, it's not getting good, but it is. It's good. I like it. It's interesting because she's someone that I know there's going to be a lot to be revealed. Right. And I do have natural curiosity. Like, again, right. I grew up being really interested in cults and and like really interested in, in how that works. And, and sure, tons of questions that I could ask, but that's not really what I do. But I let her drive. Yeah, she reveals a lot all on her own. Yeah, it was, as you would say, getting good. Yeah getting good. So yeah, she talks about, so she had mentioned before one of 10 kids 
And she talks about how she's the fourth from the oldest. So she was like a mom her whole life. They raised themselves, just lived in these communes. And she talked about she just had to watch her younger siblings be abused. And so by the time she became a mom, she had a very clear picture of what she wanted for her life, which is the opposite of her own childhood. Right. Two kids before you're 30. And so that she could, I forgot she said, be young enough to be able to do things with them, but be old enough to, now I don't remember. It was, it was, she wanted to be young enough to be a fun mother and do like activities and do fun stuff and do all that stuff with her. But I think just old enough to, to know better. Right. To be a wise parent. Yeah. 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 It's really cool because I think she does have a sense of fun about her for sure. Yeah. She seems like a very fun person. The funniest thing she said, though, in the beginning was that your kids assume that you're because you're a parent, you're stupid. (laughs) I was like, you're so right. (laughs) But she said that her kids have no idea about how she grew up. That tripped me out. I was like, wow, I wonder if that's going to continue or how that's going to be. Well, she said that when they're able to understand it and take it in, I mean, she's not hiding it from them, but she doesn't think that they can process it right now. Oh, okay. I think she she's right. That's a difficult one. It's why I think navigating things with her with her ex is so difficult because they they had very different upbringings in terms of she explains that he was adopted and he's got a wealthy family and right. It's very different than what she grew up with and I think her her early early experience was her parents just traveling around. That's why it was living in different communes and they're living in different countries. She didn't grow up in one place. She grew up moving around with a lot of people around her. Oh, yeah. And I like her honesty and I like her her reality is that being married married wasn't that important to her. It was having kids and she wanted two kids. She wanted one guy. She acknowledges she stayed with him partly because they were going to be the only grandchildren. His parents were amazing. They had money benefit for the kids and talking about sacrificing herself for the greater good. And that's sort of her tendency of everyone, of her kids, of her siblings, of, of all sorts of people. Right. Which goes back to what we talked about last week when, when we're talking about, she can handle it. She can kind of take on anything. And that's, that's evidenced by, I will take on this unhappy marriage, even this abusive marriage for the benefit of my kids. Right. And it's not that she didn't want to have a good marriage. She just wanted right. the kids. That's not necessarily true. I think when she when she initially met this guy, I'm sure there was something there. And they and she did think like, great, I'm gonna have what I've always dreamed of, you know, that that family and that, you know, I framed it to her a little later in the session, that idea of having stability and consistency in her life. Mm-hmm. Okay. That clearly wasn't the the marriage. But it was and going to be how she raised her children. Right. And then you guys sort of talked about that, how all of this was effective then, but not now. It's like before, as long as everyone else was happy, the kids were good, everyone was happy. And now she's realizing no longer effective to take that approach. Like she needs to be also. So I think a lot of this is geared towards that. Right. So then, yeah, she gets into the cults a little bit and talks about their method of well, their main method was low education, a lot of kids. If you're stupid, quote unquote, uneducated, you have a lot of kids, like you can't really leave what pregnancy was encouraged. Birth control wasn't allowed. 
and she right. straight up ran away at 15, just ran away. And then, and I'm trying to picture how this works, but maybe more will be revealed. I don't know. She said, then she cared for everybody, the older ones, the younger ones, because the older ones had kids. And, and I'm thinking like, how did she do that? Did she send them money or did she come back? Or I don't know, maybe years later, but right. she talked about how it made her happy to take care of people. And, but she can't figure out how to balance taking care of herself and other people. And then just even acknowledging, just saying that made her feel guilty. So a lot of work coming. Yeah. And, and and throwing in there, like, again, she's she's telling her story and I definitely want this story to come out her way, her narrative. Mm-hmm. But I will sprinkle little things in there. Like I, I said, yeah, well, you, you didn't you didn't really have a frame of reference yep. for that. And she goes, no, none. Right. And certainly when she said like, yeah, and I ran away and I started doing this, like, I, I think I stopped her a couple of times and was like, man, that's a lot that you're telling me. That's a lot. Right. And it's not to to go back and like, feel the emotion of it, but just to kind of acknowledge it yeah, and maybe even put a pin in, this is something we're going to, we're going to get to because right. it's, it's hugely impactful, which she knows, you know, a lot of this stuff that she's telling me, we could like take any one paragraph of stuff she tell, told me yeah, and spend an entire session on processing the trauma, the grief, the emotion behind and in all of that. But it, it was more important in this session to have her tell this part of the story, let it come out. She doesn't need to rehash all of this in such detail with the emotion behind it. She needs to get this out. Yeah. And she, that, I think that's the, the point where she talked about how she thinks she was affected by her childhood. When you talked about being a mother, I was like, yep, yes, you were. And <laughs> she said, right. um, and you guys talked about her being the consistency for everyone and how she was a chameleon, which I've talked about before. And I love that reference. And then she talked about not having a choice and then she quickly reframed. Okay. No, everyone has a choice. And I was thinking to myself like, yes, but also sure. But that choice was, it's a different, whole different world of choice there. And then (laughs) talked about, sure. She's been surviving and you want her to learn how to thrive. And I think when you are surviving, I don't think as much a choice yeah, you, you do you do whatever you can to survive. And it's right. It's something where, again, I've said, I don't want to take away her coping mechanisms because she needed to cope for survival. It was it was right. legit. What we'll find is maybe those those mechanisms aren't as necessary now. But that that trauma response, that fight or flight system that's gotten activated is still activated. I don't think it's it's ever really come down. And when she said last week, oh, I'm totally, I'm extremely OCD and, and I'm very much this and I'm very much that, uh-huh. it all fits in with this, right, she's needed to do that in order to survive. You right. can't take that away from her, you know? And that's something I say to clients because it sounds funny and they remember it is, yeah, you, you were really concerned about your survival. Now I want to look at your thrival. And I'm like, oh, I like that. I'm like, Right. We're not going to do that now, but we're going to make sure that you see that that's where we're going. So we have sort of a roadmap and a direction to go, right? Right. So that's why I say I I sprinkle these things in there, but I'm letting her tell the story and it's, 
Man, exactly. there is a lot to unpack. I'm yeah. sure you, 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 well, I'm not, I am sure. Cause you showed me pages of notes for this one that you have. I know. Well, and she throws in that she has a boyfriend and how he's really good with boundaries and stuff. And, and right. just throws in there. Oh yeah. He also grew up in the cult. I had no idea until a lot later. I was like, okay, <laughs> what, how does that happen? Right. Maybe we'll find out more. Maybe this cult was huge. I don't know. But that was like, what in the actual fuck in my mind? And it, it's, it's something, well, she'll, she'll get into it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's some things I'm like, well, let me clarify that. Eh, nope. Not going to clarify. Yeah. Like, can't do it yet. It, it will, it will come out. So she, she talks about some of the details of the cult, but I think that one of the things that she kept saying was that she kept having this voice that it's not okay. Like her stomach was telling her, her brain was telling her like, these things are not okay. And she knew that so many of the things that were happening weren't okay. And that in order for her and her family to survive, she said she knew she had to, to run away. And even though she knew nothing about the outside world, when she said, I thought about it the one day and I, day to day, do I protect my siblings when I could hopefully, or do I change it forever? Do I right. do a huge shift with no money and no information and try and make this huge shift for everybody forever instead of just trying to attack it daily forever, which I thought, fuck man, at 15 years old, that's so crazy. Right. And some of her experiences, like she, she was saying of when she was 13 and told her mom, like, I don't think I can do this. Like, I, mm -hmm. I don't want to do this anymore. And instead of like having a, an open discussion with your mother about this, her mom freaks out, has a meltdown, and then she gets, uh, not the mom, but Sarah gets taken and, and put in isolation and, and doing all this whole horrible stuff. For three effing months. Right. So it's sort of like, oh man, question, even questioning, maybe I don't want to do this. And I'm put in isolation and abused, like, oh man. And I give her a lot of credit for the resilience and strength and the awareness that she knows this is not okay, yet it's happening. So what can I do? Right. And the way that she learned was to pretend like everything's good. It's all okay. Until yeah. she knew she could get out. So she was plotting that. Yeah. So smart. And yeah. So then she just throws out and, and you stopped her and 15 and a half, my boyfriend and I, we jump on a train, ran away from Switzerland to Italy made a little band, started playing in bars. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like <laughs> <Right>. what? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that just happened. Like that would be a big deal ever for anybody, much less you don't have a dollar to your name. You have no reference of what the outside world is like at all. Right. And right. she was just like, oh, oh yeah, sure. I guess that's true. Yeah. I'll, I'll admit this when I'm hearing this from her at first, like almost what went into my head was a picture of like these people on like horse and buggy type, like, like an <laughs> almost like an Amish town, like where, Oh, yes. she's in this cult they, because they must, they must be isolated from the outside world to some degree. Yeah, right. And I had to remember also this predates cell phone and the internet. So it wasn't like you could just get information anywhere. So to a degree, it was like, as you said, Mary, like she hasn't really experienced the outside world. She's, she's been sheltered from that. She doesn't know any of that. Again, a, a tactic of the cult. Let's, let's really like tell you the importance of getting pregnant and having children. And then 
yeah. as a young adult, if that, you now have to raise your own kids or the cult is raising them. So the focus is on that. Man, yeah. How, how are you ever going to question anything? And how are you going to do anything different? It, it was seemingly horrible. And so when she just says, yeah, I ran away. We were playing gigs, formed a little band, traveling around like, right. <laughs> Whoa, that's huge. And yeah. again, she needed to keep telling the story. I needed to just go, that's huge for any 15-year-old to go travel right. through Europe and put together a band. Like, yeah, I mean, that's like 10th graders going out on their own. Oh my God. It's huge. It's I mean, insane. what were you doing in 10th grade? Not that. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Definitely not that. Yeah. And do you know this part? still like questioning it a little bit for myself. Well, first you talked yeah. about, is she scared of them coming after her? And she said, yeah, well, her family is definitely high up in the leaders and her stepdad, who's a horrible person. And so then she, she goes on to talk about how a good person doesn't knowingly do bad things. Right. And right. how can an adult, no matter what, have sex with an 11 year old or tell people, okay, they, you're this 11 year old has their period. You should have sex with them. And wouldn't right. anybody at that point say, wait, what the fuck? And she said, like, of course, these people know what they're doing was wrong. I think you questioned it at some point. Like, well, did did they know? Because that's part of the whole brainwashing thing. And right. she was like, nope, they totally knew. And if I knew at 13, how did they not know? And so I started thinking of this in my I was wondering what do I do with this information? Because I am a non-judgmental and compassionate person when it comes to good and bad, good versus evil. And I have this belief that inherently deep down, everyone is good, meaning like they're born at three years old. Nobody thinks like, I want to grow up to chop people up and keep them in my freezer or and then I'm thinking about this though, and I would never invalidate her. I wouldn't say, okay, well, do you think deep down they have a good soul, even though they were having sex with 11 year olds? Like, so I don't know how to, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, okay, well, sure. If I were sitting in session with her, I would definitely maybe talk for a minute about the cult mentality or the brainwashing or, and I would totally validate what she's saying. Yeah, I don't know how anybody could sit there and say, yeah, yeah, it's okay, but lock them in that shed for days without food or water when it's 100 degrees. So I don't know. It's just, it was very interesting to me to think that there is a point where I actually couldn't question, like, well, is that person knowingly doing something horrible? And does that make them a bad person? Well, I think knowingly doing something horrible does make you a bad person. Yes. But are they knowingly doing something horrible is the question. Well, and for me, does knowing you're doing something horrible make you a bad person? That's not a black and white answer for me. Correct. And especially her experience of when I said I wanted to get out, then I got locked in isolation and abused. So maybe there are consequences to not following something, right? So you follow it, even though it's, it's somehow wrong. Exactly. So it's not just that they're following along with what they're being told or there's a consequence, but they've actually learned that these are teachings from God. 
and the cult leader has the word of God. So you're listening to that, and this is what it means, and it's an expression of of love and God's love. And this and and society just has it wrong. That's why we don't talk about. It. We just do this thing here that we know is right. Look, I I say that, and a lot of people are going to be like, "No way, that's just fucked up." Yes, it is. Well, Hirsch, that's what she says. That's her point. Right. right. However, when you've been brainwashed and brainwashing, it's, it's a real thing. It happens and it's conditioning too. If you're, if you're yeah. constantly being abused and punished because you do something outside of a norm, whatever that norm might be, you are at some point either going to just fall in line and follow the norm or you're going to get out. You might even, as you follow the norm, just take it and go, oh, I did something wrong. Let me just do something right now. And it becomes right, right or wrong. And that's how a lot of these teachings were. That's why I think she has such a thirst for learning about all these different religions and how do people think and why do people do the things they do and, and what makes up a sense of right or wrong. There is something just plain wrong about having sex with an 11-year-old, about inflicting abuse on a child, period. There is just something wrong with that. And personally, I will agree with that. Professionally, you have to look at the psychology of everything and what everyone was thinking and what their motives and what their intentions were. And it doesn't make it right or wrong. That's why it's sometimes not about right or wrong. But oh man, anything that happened in the cult that she's told me about just seems so fucking wrong to me. Yeah. I mean, and again, this is such a touchy, understandably subject. And I don't think any abuse of anyone's ever okay. And I do think there's a right or wrong in certain situations. I think for me, I take a step back and I look at, does that make someone good or bad? I don't know. So I think for her, when she kept saying like, no, no, when my pants were pulled down in front of 150 people and I'm beaten, like how do alarms not go off? They went off for her. So the question is, And what she is saying is no, really is like, no, fuck brainwashing. They needed to have known that something was off. Right. That's basically what I heard her saying. And they definitely might have, but they did nothing about it. And that's sort of what she said. That was the worst part. Like parents and adults and caretakers are in the room and they're just letting this happen. I think that that's something that she was having such a hard time understanding that and wanting to understand how could somebody think that way? Like, I just don't think anybody can think that way. That's so wrong. It's not okay. And she, she then kind of went back to, and my kids know better. I'm like, right. And you were very nurturing to them and educating them and helping them being there for them and understanding this. And it, I mean, people's upbringings can be just so mixed up and so wrong or just so, so difficult. And every cult leader just about that I, that I ever like read about or researched didn't have a very nurturing childhood, didn't have a nurturing upbringing. Right. And some of them might've had an overbearing parent and it created something different. I mean, it's like, where's the line? And are you as a parent going to, to grow a cult leader as a child? Like not intentionally. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't think anybody sets out to do that. Not something I ever hoped for, but yeah, she says that now with her kids, she always knows where they are and they always talk and to be very open. And she's doesn't sound like an insane helicopter mom. Right. She sounds hypervigilant and totally makes sense. Yeah. And that, that hypervigilance for sure. And that's something that we've talked about 
already last week, even just being in that fight or flight system, that fight or flight mechanism of high alert, like anything could happen at any time. And she's needed that. That's her survival mechanism. And that's something that she's so second nature to her. I mean, that, that's why she'll, right. she'll kind of just say, yeah, that's in my nature. I'm like, well, I don't know. And maybe it is, but I, I think, I think she learned how to do that and it was necessary. Yeah. Okay. One of the things you said, so towards the end, you were talking about how her strength is rooted in vulnerability and honesty and love. And, and then you said wounds are where the light comes in. And I was like, tell me more, Doug, that is amazing. (laughs) And you said, you said that you'll be the mirror that shines the light back for herself. Well, okay. So to, to be clear, Rumi, I think you've heard of Rumi. I'm going to credit you and and pretend that I'm educated and that I knew that. Sure. Well, I I mean, I spouted it to her. I didn't say, yeah, Rumi says that the wound is the place where the light comes in. And there's many different uh, versions of that. He's not the only person to have said that. I think uh, there's a lot of of quotes like that. You said something, though, about you'll be a mirror that shines that light back for herself or something. Right. Anyway, that's the gist. The wounds where the light come in and you're going to hold up that mirror. And it was amazing. I loved it. Yeah, I, I, thank you. And that that's something that I really wanted to help her recognize the strength that she has. I mean, look, she's 15 years old and gets herself out of a fucking cult and then helps get her, right. her siblings out and, and is their pillar for a while. That's incredible strength, incredible strength. And for her, it's like, yeah, it's just what I did. It was survival. I mean, you don't right, realize right. it. Way back on, on the podcast when, when I did the session with Wyatt, where we talked about him going through chemo mm-hmm. and he was like, yeah, it's just what I did. Everybody goes, oh, you're so strong. Oh, chemo. And he was like, oh, it's just what I had to do. You don't realize it when you're going through it. And saying this at the tail end of our session, and I think she heard it, it's something that I will do with her along the way that showing her her own strength. It's her strength. Yeah. I'm just going to be the mirror that, that shows the light that she's shining because it's, it's incredible to go through that experience. Aww. And even that, if you remember that movie, Life is Beautiful, Roberto Benini, that was set in a concentration camp where he's, mm-hmm. you know, he has a, a kid, a son that's there in the concentration camp, and he's trying to be a good father and make his son laugh and, and show that he's fine with this. And it's just all a game and it's cool. Yeah. It is beautiful in a way. It's tragic and beautiful. It's totally. Yes. I think she did a version of that for, for all of her siblings and for herself. There's also that, that child version of herself that didn't get to be a child that became, as we've said before, parentified. Wow. Yeah. She's got incredible strength. I'm going to be the mirror that shows her that I'm also at some point going to be the mirror that shows her that childhood that's been lost. No, we might have to grieve that child for that child for that loss. And maybe we'll, we'll get to see glimmers of it in some of the things that she has done and some of the ways her kids have been and some of the ways she can be now. I get the sense from her. She's got a very playful side. That's why she said she wants to be, have kids when she was like young, because I wanted to be that, that cool mom that still can do things with their kids. Like, right. Yeah. She, she's got that. Yeah. No, she sounds like that. I'm yeah, I like her and I love this. I'm excited to hear what more we have in store. Yeah, me too. I mean, she's many of my clients. I feel this way about her in particular. She's the one we're talking about so I can focus on her. 
it's really like, wow, what are we going to get to next week? Like what, right. what, what's going to, what are we going to start unpacking? Right. And it's almost like if you're unpacking a suitcase of clothes that you haven't worn in years, sometimes you forget what's in there and you're like, oh my gosh, I remember this. I want to try this on. Or like, totally. Ugh, I can't believe I had a perm in high school. What was I thinking? That was horrible. <laughs> you know? My sister had a perm, not me. Really? Yeah. Uh, you were blonde. You were blonde when I knew you. I know. Well, I'm going back there. So we'll see. Oh, you are. I you think. Are. Yeah. Yeah. We should track your progress. <laughs> we should. Okay. So yes, keep listening. Next week, we will find out more. Keep listening. We will be back with you, with Sarah, with all of us next week. And we will uh, talk at you then. Bye. Bye.